Haven't You Seen This? Welcome to Why Haven't You Seen This? with me, Emily Barton. On this episode, I'm joined by Andy McCarroll from andymccarrollsmovies.com. And you are uh, joining me again, Andy, very kindly and generously uh, after we covered the game. And this time we're talking about Demolition Man. came out in 1993 with Sylvester Stallone and Benjamin Bratt and Dennis Leary and Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes. (laughs) (laughs) The villain, Wesley Snipes. Yeah, so I'm super excited uh, to be talking about Demolition Man. If people haven't seen Demolition Man, I think it's one of those ones, this podcast is always about, for people, it's either discovering movies that you never heard of or might have fallen through the cracks so you didn't watch when they first came out, or rediscovering. I think this may be one that people will be, movie nerds may will certainly be familiar with, but I think it's also one that people either haven't seen or haven't seen in a long time. And it's definitely one that people need to check out because it's on my top action movie lists of all time out of all of them this is the movie i have seen probably the most amount of times in that in that genre yeah the, the thing that surprised me is one when we were going through like kind of what film to pick that you suggested this because i just assumed demolition man was like a staple that you know everyone's seen demolition man this is like you recommending shawshank you're like well obviously everyone has seen this like this isn't going to be anything new but only only when i was talking about it on the page and then kind of talking to people in real life a lot of people haven't seen this and they've, they're kind of familiar with, you know, the, the, the Wesley Snipes and the haircut, but don't know where they've heard of the three seashells, but didn't know what it was from. I was really surprised by that. Like, how do you know what the three seashells is, but not have seen or heard of Demolition Man? And for me, that's just, you know, a, a huge gap in people's knowledge. But that said, this is probably the first time I've watched this film that wasn't on a, VHA, a VHS tape that I had from Sky Movies. Like, remember that we used to get like random weeks, like you'd be flicking through the stations and all of a sudden you've got Sky Movies for a week. That's how I've, I've watched this every single time. And it's the first time I've watched it in HD. And it's just, I don't know whether it, it took away from it as well, because you're able to spot all the things like the, the map paintings in the background. But for me, like you said, I grew up watching this, like even now. So it would have been about what, 10 years or so since I actually watched this film start to finish. And every single line, you're like, yeah, John Spartan, you're fine. And just kind of mouth and everything aligns <laughs> to it. Like, it's so like quotable. It's like greatest hits. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah, and it's always that thing when you're, when you're revisiting a movie. It's like, is this quotable because I watched it a ridiculous amount of times and therefore it's just like super nostalgic for me? Or is it quotable because the writing is actually really, really good and it's very witty and it's very funny and it actually does have, as a film, it does have a lot to offer. I, I would say it ticks both of those boxes for me, obviously, because I... I loved it. I grew up with um, with my two brothers. My sister was like way older than me, so she was just up partying and doing everything. So I watched all the movies that my brothers watched, and Demolition Man was the one that we. I think it was like one of the first VHS videos that my brother bought, and so we watched it ad nauseum. And it's just it has become, I think, our you know in our top tier of of those movies. I mean, of course, loved. The movies of the 80s, the action movies of the 80s, all the sly movies and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger movies are, are classics. And what and when I talk about Demolition Man to my friends, and particularly my girlfriends, because I'm always trying to encourage them to kind of, you know, broaden their horizons with movies. Um, and I kind of say to them, like, action movies are predominantly actually, well, I would consider them, they're comedy action movies. Like, most of them are, whether it was an intentional or non-intentional, like, just, just so many great one-liners, like, from Predator and Commando and True Lies, and they're just, there's there's so much going on in them. And Die Hard, like, Die Hard for me is, like, an uber clever comedy. Like, there's so much 
comedic timing and writing in it that is so so good. So I, I always use that as a selling point with Demolition Man. It's like it's got everything. It's got action. It's got romance. It's got comedy. It's got escapism. Uh, and you've got Sylvester Sloan, Wesley Snipes, Sandra Bullock, Nigel Hawthorne, you know, all these great actors, Dennis Leary. And it surprised me as well. Like I, I initially thought that everyone had seen it like they'd seen all the other classic 80s um, movies in the 80s and 90s. This is 1993. But yeah, so many people that I've spoken to haven't never saw Demolition Man, even though it had all of those kind of big hit, hit hitters in it. But Sandra Bullock obviously kind of didn't really get her big break until her next movie was Speed. So this was kind of just before she kind of really broke broke out. It's definitely one of those ones that um, if, if it never got on your radar, hopefully us telling you all about it will, will make people want to watch it and check it out. And I have seen it on TV recently. I think it was on Channel 4, E4, something like that. So once I feel like once they start showing them, they, they show them kind of for a period of time. And then yeah, they, have you heard of this new show, Friends? They're showing on E4. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They they kind of buy buy them and then like you know show them t- until you just can't stand it anymore. So but yeah, I think you've made a good point there about people watching that now, watching Demolition Man now. Would they still have the appeal, or would is it because we grew up watching this? I think it would hold up, and be curious now if people watch this off the back of the podcast and, and have never seen this before. Because of the reasons you said, this has everything. It's action, it's a comedy, it's a romance. But it's also got like one, it's got two huge stars in it. And the concept itself, you know, a cop and a criminal frozen and then thawed out in the future. That's more interesting than, uh, you know, any action film I can think of at the moment. I think it's like the biggest action film of last year was Extraction. And try and pitch that to someone. It's like, well, the, the guy from the Avengers, they've done the SEO on this. So they've realized that Avengers, India and action are well together. So we just kind of made that. Like, what is the point of extraction? What is the, like, the elevator pitch for that film? It's completely forgettable. And it's not something you're going to revisit because it's not something you're going to watch and go, well, I enjoyed it for the comedy this side. Or, you know, I liked it for the fact that, you know, Sandra Bullock, Rob Schneider, who aren't, you know, weren't household names at the time. I was like spotting them in the back. He's in that. And the guy, what's his name? Low budget Morgan Freeman. It's like, if you know, you, you went out the house without your wallet and needed Morgan Freeman. It's like, oh, get, get this guy instead. He's basically like the, you know, the straight to video version of him. <laughs> and then you've got Nigel Hawthorne in the middle who was like basically doing this as his first film because he was this, you know, Shakespearean stage actor and wanted to lower himself to movies and you can kind of see going in with that attitude, how he managed to follow everybody on the set with that. Yeah, the, the madness of King George, <laughs> <laughs> which he famously played King George and did in that film. And yeah, he's he was like this really, um, really serious uh, Shakespearean actor. And then I had you had Dennis Leary, who I think I did. Did Dennis Leary come to fame through MTV or something like that? That he was cast. Um, as Edgar Friendly in this, um, but anyway, I, I'm I'm jumping ahead. So yeah, so I think, what what is this movie about? Because um, I mean, I suppose the background is it's produced by Joel Silver, and he did Lethal Weapon and the Die Hard movies, or he produced them. So already you've got, and and I think to to your point, what you're saying there about action movies coming out now, they're 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 almost kind of box tickers, and maybe they don't have the same level of investment and writing and you know the same nuances or you know that that you would have had in the 80s and 90s where there's a real kind of investment in the story and all of the different elements that are going on and um and maybe that's me being super judgmental but I just you don't get the same kind of quality 
I feel uh, nowadays that uh, that you would have gotten, or maybe it's just a completely different age of of action movies. But there's definitely. I do, and I know it sounds like we're kind of like two old people shouting at the clouds here, but <laughs> I think it is because you're doing Martin Scorsese. So much content well it's the first time i've been compared to him i hope you don't mind <laughs> what i was gonna say is that there's so much tied like i'm looking at the laptop now i can pick out you know millions of movies to go and see whereas like they're all kind of fighting for that you know opening weekend or you know opening week of stream and you can see it now with the, the Zack snyder with the justice league thing it's like okay how well this does this week determines it forever whereas when we were growing up i had about like eight vhs's and i had to watch them to death and when you release the film you had to try and get somebody to watch it in the cinema, wait six months and make them want to see it again on video, wait, what is it, a year or two years, depending to watch it on, you know, it was a year for Sky Movies or two or three years, then if you were lucky enough to see it on, on terrestrial television. So you had these kind of like, this film has to be good enough to want to see it three or four times at least, where it's now is, I need to trick you into watching this opening weekend and then I don't care if you never watch it ever again because... Yeah. It, Once you go past to, that, it, it, it had to be quality, is what you're saying, Andy, back in the day. <laughs> yeah. In my day, they used to make proper films about you know, <laughs> being frozen and terrorists kicking people's heads off. Yeah, we're, our, our standards are just so high because we've been watching them for so long. Maybe that's it. Um, but, it but it was interesting um, when I was looking at the background of this because I was, I was trying to think who directed Demolition Man, and it was this guy, Marco. This, um, it's is the Italian or French uh, Brambilla, Marco Brambilla, and he'd never done a, a feature film before, which I was really impressed because I thought this movie was great. Um, I think he'd done commercials beforehand, and I think he did Excess Baggage with Alicia Silverstone and Christopher Walken and Guillermo del Toro, which is, again, one of those sort of B-movie, independent B-movies that I actually secretly love. Um, but he wasn't really a big director, so it was like really interesting when you kind of see a movie of this scale with all these big hitters and and... Like, I still think it stands up fairly well in, as, as a movie. You know, I don't think it's aged that much. And there's quite, quite a lot of future. The, the, when they're in the future, there's a lot of things that they got quite right in terms, you know, in terms of some of the technology. But it was kind of interesting that, that it was a completely unknown director that they got to do this, that Joel Silver got in to do this. Um, yeah, and he's never directed before and he never directed since. Like all he's kind of done after is these kind of, you know, artsy-fartsy art installations. And you'd never see that now. They're never just going to pick some random commercial director. Here you go. Here's a huge franchise with like Sylvester Stallone, Wesley Snipes, who at the time were two of the biggest actors on the planet. And then he makes that. And like, like you said, it, it holds up. It's still visually you show someone who's seen it a frame of Demolition Man. They'll recognize it. And then just disappeared into the ether, never to be heard from again. It's 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 pretty cool, and and I think for anybody anybody who's kind of who hasn't definitively has never seen Demolition Man, and maybe they're hooked now because we've named all the big names, because that that's obviously that's still a pretty good um, a pretty good way to hook people nowadays. But for movies, is put, lash somebody pretty savage in, into the into the cast, and you've got like some pretty multiple heavy hitters in this movie. Um, but this is ultimately... And just on that, sorry, just to tie into our last episode, do you know how he ended up getting the job for this? Who recommended him for it? Marco. Was, yeah. it, was it Sly? No, David Fincher, who was coming off, he was a commercial director and coming off the back of Alien 3, recommended, he was asked, he was approached for Demolition Man and he was the one who recommended this guy. Oh, that's amazing. What, well, I mean, that's your research. I was very surprised there. I was waiting for you to, to completely I'm, cut the legs off from under me there. No, I'm very, I'm very impressed with that bit of knowledge because you, you, I was kind of scratching my head going, who did this guy know 
you know, when you when you've got somebody because generally speaking, when you when you find when you see a director who maybe hasn't done much doing something at this scale with these kind of it's usually because it's a, a big studios involved and they basically want to have their way you know like if you get a big director they're usually studios can't really kind of tell them what to do whereas with sort of uh new newbies they can kind of push them around a little bit to make sure all their boxes are ticked um so i figured he had to have known somebody or there should, had to be some, some recommendation so that's really cool so david fincher recommended him for this movie that's cool um, and even that um, you're saying there about like people now like they're, they're essentially guns for hire especially when it comes to like the bigger superhero movies what surprised me on this is kind of the interviews with joel silver about it saying you know we basically let him go do whatever he wanted i think he went they went like 20 days over and a couple of uh, i think it was like 10 million over budget and joel silver was like no he didn't go over budget because of he was a first-time director this is just difficult film to make and we let him make the film he wanted to make you would never get that now especially with that story with those actors with an unproven director here's you know 50 million go make whatever you want like it would never happen anymore no it's it, it, it's one of those things so i was watching the river wild there um the other night and that was the other thing like a, a film like that which is and that, that's the other thing about this there's little to no cgi in this film like there's very there's special effects there's amazing stunts but I, 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 I actually really hate CGI when it's used too much or, you know, it's not used effectively. In it. And most of the time nowadays, I find it. Don't watch Snyder Cut, I'll say that to you. <laughs> I, yeah, I really struggle with it. And, and that's, but that's one of the, I just, I love movies that are kind of, they're, they're filmmaking at their best. They're, they're, they're stunts, they're, they're crazy stuff. And you probably wouldn't get insurance to cover half of the stuff that they did um, nowadays. But, and there's great stunts in this. And, and I suppose bringing it back to the storyline. So you've got Sylvester Stallone, who's playing John Spartan, and Wesley Snipes, who's playing Simon Phoenix. And Simon Phoenix is this terrible, terrible, terrible villain human being. And in the 90s, he kills lots of people. And Sylvester Stallone, whose nickname is Demolition Man, because he's the good guy cop, but he manages to destroy everything in his, in, in, in his, um, in his adventures to bring down the bad guy. Um, he ends up, the two of them end up being frozen in and sent to jail, which is cryostasis frozen, um, because uh, apparently the building that Sylvester Stallone blows up has all of these civilians that were killed in it. So he ends up getting in trouble too. And flash forward to San Angeles in the future. Um, everything has become very peaceful and uh, everything is very futuristic and everyone's dress is sort of a... a a mix of sort of Asian, Japanese uh, influence. They're all very delicate and nobody um, shouts at each other or swears at each other and the cars are auto cars. And so it's, it's kind of this very different, delicate, everyone is very, very delicate in it. And Simon Phoenix is being thawed out 36 years later in the future and starts to wreak havoc. And how are they going to managed to take down someone like Simon Phoenix in a society where, you know, they're so polite to each other, nobody so much as raises a hand to each other anymore and they get fined for saying swear words. Uh, they have to thaw out Sylvester Stallone to take down Simon Phoenix. And just this beautiful madness ensues. Yeah, so there's kind of loosely based on the if I say extremely loosely based on the the novel uh, Brave New Worlds by Huxley, who's you know a nod to Sandra Bullock's character with her name in that there. 
but it is it look and it's obviously gotten a few things right as well you can see you know the handshakes have been essentially outlawed and i kind of want us to go for that weird waving handshake you know greeting now <laughs> Perfect. a few other things in that film now i wouldn't want us to change but uh, the handshake one is definitely something i can get on board with they all they all talk like they just are constantly meditating like they go around and if you get even a little bit excited it's like enhance your calm <laughs> <laughs> it's actually frightening how much and I think that's why I think people watching it now aside from like the story and the great actors and the action and everything like that just actually looking at San Angeles and the, there's so many things that people can relate to now is just really interesting and kind of scary as well to kind of see like some of the things that actually have occurred and come true uh, and what's interesting is uh, which I didn't realise was Simon Phoenix's character who's played by Wesley Snipes uh, was originally they wanted Jackie Chan to play his part, and uh, which I just can't even I can't even picture him as Simon Phoenix because Simon Phoenix is such a deadly, evil character, and Jackie Chan. But I think Jackie Chan turned it down because he was saying something about in in China, if you're known to be playing good guys it's like just a total no-no to play a villain. Like, it's just like, it will yeah, lose your brand. still got as well. Like, if you do things like Bruce Lee, he'd, he couldn't play a villain because it was like, basically, you're, you're ruining your career here. It's like, you know, turning heel in real life. The other casting thing as well for this was, was Steven Seagal and Jean-Claude Van Damme. And then the two of them just had a complete falling out of who was playing the hero and who was playing the villain. And thankfully, Joel Silver just stepped in and went, I'll tell you what, you can both fuck off now and we're going to get somebody <laughs> else in to do that. I love that. Not yeah. And the, um, and was it the Dennis Leary, who, of course, you know, was, was making a name for himself for being quite a kind of a quick-witted, you know, storyteller, is that the right word, uh, raconteur. They, they rewrote a load of his script because they just wanted him to just riff and just go. And he just yeah. gives this amazing fast talking description as to why. So he plays this guy, Ed, Edgar Friendly, who's sort of in the bowels of, of San Angeles, the people who don't want to conform to the new kind of lily, super soft society uh, going on up above. And, and, and really he just, they, they completely rebel against it. But they're kind of seen as the bad guys, even though they're just innocent people who just want to live the way they want to live. And he just gives this great speech about why he just wants to. It's just really about having freedom to do anything. He talks about wanting to rub green jello all over his body and play uh, read Playboy magazine, and like he's just he's just absolutely brilliant in it, you know. It, it, but it's just like that. It goes back to how quotable it is. But I think that that's why it really appealed to me because it was sort of it has. Sylvester Stallone and Wesley Snipes and the good guy, the bad guy, and they need to take each other down. But then there's all these nuances within within the uh, within the film, and you've got what's going on with the modern society, and then you've got what's going on in, in the bowels below, and then you've got the likes of Nigel Hawthorne who plays Doctor Cocteau, who effectively Raymond Cocteau, who effectively created this new society, um, and he has it in for Edgar Friendly, and he he he's actually the one behind. Uh, pulling on the strings so there's the, these great layers and this great diversity of characters and great diversity of actors um, and then you've got Lieutenant Lenina Huxley in the middle of it uh, kind of playing that female romantic playing the romantic part um, as uh, this kind of young upstart um, cop who is totally obsessed with pop culture and of course Joel, Joel Silver is so into pop culture so this is like another film where you see 
she's somebody who has kept all of these sort of old 90s posters and of course this movie came out in 93 so it's actually you know the present but for them it's the past and she's you know filled her office and her apartment full of all these old like I think there's like lethal weapon posters and jukeboxes and all this kind of stuff that's kind of all been done away with because it's considered part of the old days and um she's just totally obsessed with pop culture so when she uh assists John Spartan uh, in acclimating to the new society she just has this like really lovely naive uh way about her that kind of you know brings the nostalgia of the past to the fore and and really kind of highlights that like pop culture and I think probably one of my favorite scenes is when herself and Benjamin uh Benjamin Bratt are in the car and they put on the show tunes on the radio and they start singing like that hot dogs they're just like this is like light and gentle and lovely and of course they have no idea uh what uh what real violence and everything is like and actually, I think at one point when she when she does a when she does a, a, a karate kick or something like that, he's like, "Where did you learn to kick like that?" And she's like, "Jackie Chan movies," you know. So it's all <laughs> like cool. And it's and I love how I think um, Sylvester Stallone had said it in a movie, or maybe it was maybe in an interview, or maybe it was Marco Brambilla. They're saying how like what was kind of interesting about this movie was you got so people knew Sylvester Stallone and they knew the Rambo characters and Cobra character, and so so you basically have you're almost taking the character that people are familiar with and Sylvester Stone is playing a version of that but you're bringing him into the future and you're kind of seeing what that would look like which is really which is like really cool idea in itself yeah that's what's actually called in India it's called Rambo of the future because that's such a, a huge character over there that pretty much every Stallone film is called Rambo of something like even Rocky is called Rambo boxing <laughs> Well, I, I love the thing with Sandra Bullock with the uh, like mixing up the and I'm stunned to death now, but like mixing up the the insults like let's go lick this guy's ass and he's just like no 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 let's not do that. And it also has that that film trope that I I love it and I hate it at the same time. Like I've worked in offices most of my life. I would love to say to my boss, oh by the way, I want to hang up and frame a Lethal Weapon two poster and I'm gonna put a jukebox here beside my desk, you know, just just for atmosphere, like. No, no, you absolutely, especially if you're a cop as well. Like, imagine just wheeling in a jukebox to put beside your desk. You're like, shouldn't you be working, Huxley? I thought it was interesting that Laurie, Laurie Petty was supposed to play Lenina Huxley, apparently, which is interesting. So, I, I, like, I love Laurie Petty. Like, I loved her in um, Ta as Tank Girl, and I loved her in um, Point Break as well with Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze. Um, but apparently, she was she walked away because of creative differences because i think she's quite a kind of a difficult enough um or was quite a difficult yeah enough. um she still is i don't know um she was involved in dublin comic con a couple of years ago and when i saw with doing the, the research for this that she was fired for creative differences i was like yep i can absolutely see that she is not the easiest person in the world to deal with Oh, interesting. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, she was she wasn't in anything for years and years, and then she showed up in the Oranges of the New Black as a kind of a madcap uh, prisoner, uh, female prisoner. And I think the fact that she's got nothing off the back of that after that doing so well, I'd say a few people are like, oh, what's Laurie Petty like? And the directors are just like, no, no, don't, no, not, not worth the hassle. Not worth the hassle. Yeah, and it's a shame because I thought like she was class. She was really good in the stuff that she did. She was really class. But it's a shame that she kind of brought that attitude to it. Um. Because she's a, like, if she was a man, she'd be like, you know, she'd be Sean Penn and she'd be like this cool, edgy prick. But because she's a woman, she's like, no, she's difficult. 
Yeah. Well, it was actually kind of cool. I was watching a couple of the interviews with Sylvester Stallone around the time of it. I had, and I, I haven't watched enough interviews with Sylvester Stallone, to be honest with you, because uh, the ones that he did around Demolition Man, he just comes off as just like the nicest, normalest guy and really intelligent, he's really intelligent um, from what I could gather. But he was talking about how, uh, he was talking about that whole thing about obviously how um, his image and stuff like that. And he was saying that when he had done Rambo, um, you know, Bush was like using Rambo as sort of the example of like, that, that's what we're going to do to win some wars. We're going to blow things up. And apparently he had like loads of people protesting outside his house, ripping heads off Rambo dolls, you know, this, this kind of toxic masculine icon. And he was kind of like, oh shit, you know, and I kind of like, is that why he did um, uh, Don't Stop or My Mom Will Shoot? You know, he's like trying to do, do a little bit. He seemed to be kind of really kind of um, conscious of these things. And he was saying how, this role was his first role with not his first role with with a leading lady but like his first one in a while like he'd done a lot of because he'd done cliffhanger as well and very kind of male dominated action movies whereas he's saying it was like really nice to work with Sandra Bullock and have that kind of female character and I don't know whether he was ticking the box or I mean I, I think he was pretty um he was being quite honest when he was kind of saying like he, he wanted to see more without being prompted about gender equality or anything like that before that became sort of a thing he was just talking about how he just would love to, to work with more women and to have more balance in movies and, and to have more kind of variety of characters and have more women involved, which I thought was quite good. And then recently he, there was an interview where he was asked about how he manages living with four women and two female dogs. And he said, I don't, I roll over and play dead. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, good man, Sylvester. to have that self-awareness about him that like Bruce Willis doesn't have. Like Arnie is like the, the movie star of them. And I, there's actually a good story about how he tricked Stallone into doing stuff by my mom will shoot. But Arnie was like this, you know, untouchable icon. Willis was the prick and Stallone seemed to be the kind of, yeah, he was an A-list mega star, but he had a bit of humility and self-awareness about him. And funny you were saying they were talking about him doing the interviews. He'd done a, a boxing show a couple of years ago, a reality show called The Contender. And there's this brilliant little interview before. There's a guy, Sugar Ray Leonard, one of the best boxers of all time, was doing the show with him. And Stallone's kind of talking just before he meets him. He's like, I'm actually really nervous. Like, I really like this guy. I really, I really want to make a good impression and make him like me. You're like, you were rocky. He is going to look like your Sylvester Stallone. Like, why are you intimidated about meeting this guy? It was just, it was a nice little, you, you can't picture Bruce Willis sitting there going, oh, I really want this guy to like me. I'm, he's a big, I'm a big fan of his. Like, he just doesn't have that capacity for humility i think that's the loan does yeah kev was actually telling me a story there about how he he lived next to denzel washington and or Dan's, denzel washington was telling the story about how he's having this big badass party in his house denzel in denzel washington's mm -hmm. house was having all these celebrities and a-listers and it was absolutely mental <laughs> he said he looked over he looked over into Sylvester Stallone's garden you could just see him jumping up and down trying to see in to see what was <laughs> happening next door and he was so he rang him up and he's like do you want to come in and play <laughs> he just seems like such a like kind of almost like a shy guy he's like what's going on over there <laughs> Uh, he just yeah he's kind of he kind of gave me a newfound sort of love and respect for the man I was like oh I should watch more uh, interviews with him he's, he's pretty cool and apparently I think he, he's mentioned that there's going to be a demolition man too however, with Warner Brothers apparently which would be interesting whether that's still going ahead I think he mentioned that last spring or summer so whether that's still in the works would be interesting to see I'd, I, I don't know how that can work 
So yeah, I can't see him getting like popped back in the fridge, like you know, Stallone. As as much work as he's had done, he you know he looks like a man who's who's lived life the past few years as well. And to be fair, Wesley Snipes pretty much looks exactly the same. He's the only man who went into prison and came out looking younger. So I don't know what you know. Maybe I need a, a year or two in whatever penitentiary he went. To. <laughs> well, and, and and interesting you mentioned about that uh, putting the back in the freezer because he was talking about because there's I I just think. I just think that the, the stunts in this are pretty good. And like that, there's there's very little CGI from what I could see. Like the special effects was very, I don't think they were using CGI really then at that stage. Like it was, there was a lot of developmental work. A lot work of practical, a lot of map paintings and miniatures and that as well. Yeah. And and um, he was talking about the scene where um, they they freeze him and they, they have this sort of block with these glass doors, this glass lid. And he has to like st- stand into this tub with a glass lid and, and go underneath it and it fills up with this special liquid which will ultimately freeze him and turn him into a giant ice cube um and sylvester sloan was saying how when that lid was closing he said it was really really heavy and he said it was the hardest scene he really didn't like shooting that scene because he was really freaked out about going into this kind of box with this lid closing and you know he, he, in the scene you can see that he, he he crouches down the lid closes and the thing starts filling up with water to the point where his mouth is literally touching the lid and so that's Sylvester Stallone literally in there almost drowning and he had said to the director when when the director said cut and they the lid opened again he kind of turned to him going what if the lid doesn't open on the next take you know like this is really making me feel nervous and the director's like oh you're fine we have a guy on hydraulics and he's like yeah but the guy the guy powering hydraulics is missing four fingers so like there's something <laughs> i don't know if i feel fully like <laughs> whether i fully trust the guy with, with four missing fingers to stop me from drowning <laughs> he's made at least four mistakes in the past so i'm not trusting him not to make a fifth <laughs> Exactly, I thought it was really, really good. But um, it's... I was getting claustrophobia just listening to that. Actually, on that, do you remember Planet Hollywood in Dublin? And yes. you would go in and pay like three times the price for a burger for the privilege of sitting under, you know, Stallone's arse just like above your head <laughs> while you're eating your food. Yeah, that was absolute. Uh, that was the golden age, really. You know, where they—I don't think they lasted very long, though, did they? They—they—they they, they kind of got old very, very quickly. They—they they went out of business within a couple of years. But there was just there, there was a point where there was like Planet Hollywood everywhere, and it was—it was like the mecca to have a Planet Hollywood in your town. Um, but yeah, though that was—I—I uh, I would be an honor and a pl- pleasure to to sit under that statue. <laughs> actually Sandra Bullock is talking about uh, they, there's a sex scene with her, her, there's a sex scene in inverted commas in this film between Sandra Bullock and Sylvester Stallone albeit it's a time where obviously they they eradicated um, diseases like AIDS and things like that and if you want to have babies you have to go to a lab and so there's no physical contact there's no kissing there's no, no sex um, so they have to it's almost like again virtual reality before there's you know the VR and the Oculus and everything like that. There was this sort of virtual reality uh, sex scene between the two of them, which was just the strangest thing I've ever seen. But she was saying for that, they had to film her obviously looking like she's having an orgasm. And she was saying it wasn't really, like she said, it was really awkward. And those kind of scenes are always really awkward to, to film. She said it wasn't hard either because like, you know, he has a great body. So it wasn't hard, like it wasn't hard to imagine what it would be like <laughs> to sleep. <laughs> it was like, Fair play to you. She's like, you know, I didn't, I didn't have to imagine too much, though. So, yeah, it wasn't too challenging. Um, 
I love the story from the test screen and of that where like there's a it's mentioned still in the film there's a line where he, he says he has a daughter and she offers to look her up and he says no that was kind of more heavily leaned into in the initial script and in the test screenings but whatever way it was filmed the audience in the test screen and got the impression that Sandra Bullock was his daughter so when the scene happens where they start having the sex scene together a lot of people got up and just walked in and went no no but this is disgusting and they're kind of trying to usher them back no no that's that's not his daughter this isn't no we'll, we'll get rid of that don't worry about that sit back down i thought yeah, they were watching like a, an old boy prequel or something oh god it's so weird and i i love how um they they have this thing where when they take prisoners out of the cryo chamber and defrost them um they're able to like while they're asleep in the cryo chamber they're able to like almost like the matrix before the matrix came out by the way so you know this movie is like really ahead of its time um, they're able to like program them with all of this knowledge in their brain. Um, so obviously when, when Simon Phoenix comes out, he's actually been given all these extra martial arts and he, he somehow knows all the codes to all the gates and everything like that. So he's been, he's gone from being like this horrible monster to being given all these extra powers and strengths and things like that. So he makes, makes him an even more difficult villain to, to kind of take down. But when, when Sylvester Stallone comes out of the freezer, <laughs> He goes back up to his apartment to, uh, you know, after dinner, um, his pack, he gets a special pack and it's a knitting, it's a knitting kit. <laughs> and he knits this red sweater and, and, and it's all part of this, I don't know, cognitive thing or, you know, you're, you're imprinted with these kind of things that we think will help you to re-socialize or something like that. I'm like, is, is knitting a big thing in, the, in San Angeles? And he, he knits this entire sweater overnight, this jumper overnight. Uh, for Lenina Huxley, which I just thought was just really cute. So, you know, there, it kind of gives you a sense that there's there's all these like really funny, cute, random things in this movie. And like you, you, you're alluded to the three seashells, which are for anyone who hasn't seen Demolition Man, when you in the future, when you go to the bathroom, there's no toilet roll. There's just three seashells on a shelf. And of course, no one ever explains to anybody what the three seashells are for. And uh, when, when Sylvester Sloan's character, John Spartan's just like, uh, where's the toilet roll? And he's like, no, there's three seashells in there. What are the three seashells for? <laughs> I can't believe he doesn't know how to use the three seashells. It's just become this huge like meme. I was like, how do, I, how do you use the three seashells? It's kind of, there's a whole culture has been built around the three seashells out of this movie. And Stallone gave a very graphic answer to how to use that, that I wish I hadn't heard. And you just have to remind me as well, when you're talking about the knitting, just to show like how, uh, I was going to say impressionable, stupid a child I was when I saw that because like Stallone is like, you know, the coolest action hero ever. You're trying to like impersonate everything. I remember running and grabbing like a ball of my nanny's like knitting wool and the, the two needles and going, oh, I'm going to do that just like Demolition Man and just kind of rolled like one thread into like an even smaller ball and went, okay, now this isn't as easy as he's making it look there and just kind of casting it to the side. I'm sure I my nanny that. walking in going, I watched a Stallone action film and now I'm trying to niche like what? type of film are you watching in there Sylvester he's such a positive role model you know what I mean like he expands <laughs> he, he makes it you know he makes guys kind of look think outside the box and look yeah I love that that's so cool the beauty the beauty is that that you don't know how, the mystery is the beauty it's that thing of like at the end of last in translation you don't know what Bill Murray whispers in Scarlett Johansson's ear and I'm, I I prefer that I you know it's it keeps it interesting it keeps the mystery alive but it's very very funny and they use it to, to give out to him. And the other thing, um, for about three years after this film, or three years from the point at which we had it on DVD, literally, literally every time any of us swore in the house, 
it was e. John Sparn, you are fined one credit for a violation of the verbal morality clause every single time for years. For years. And uh, people just thought we were just crazy, which we were a little bit, I guess. But um, there, there's just this, lo- this brilliant thing to write the film that every single time somebody swears that somewhere in the distance, you can hear this yeah. and this ticket coming out. This ticket coming out of a ticket machine on there's these machines on every wall, and if you're overheard swearing, you get fined. Yeah, it's, you were fined one credit for a violation of the verbal morality statute. It's brilliant, and of course, when Simon Phoenix, uh, Wesley Snipes comes out of Simon Phoenix, and of course, he's just the the baddiest baddie, and of course, he's effing and blind and left, right, and centre. There's just tickets flying out of the wall. Just going every time he's talking, he's like, oh, "Fuck you!" <laughs> oh, it's just—it's just great. It's he just, is yeah. brilliant in this. Like that, that, even a bit more than Blade. I think he was made for that role. He is just, like you said, the motor mouth. He's like he's a legitimate black belt in real life. To the fact that he actually had to slow down his fight scenes because it was just a blur of kicks and punches compared to the rest of the guys. But that was was his peak. And even that look, like the hair, like Dennis Rodman. The, the basketball player copied him like he Robin himself has this iconic look and it's because he copied Wesley Snipes of Simon Phoenix and again a film you know to go back to why haven't you seen this a film that was like one of the most famous basketball players in there copied this guy's look and not many people know about the film I know it's mad and it was a look that Wesley Snipes himself hated apparently like he shaved his head as soon as the movie was was uh, done and yet Dennis Rodman was like that's cool that's badass because <laughs> Simon Phoenix is badass like he's he is he's almost a villain that you love to hate because he is so he is just brilliant and he's um, like that yeah his his martial arts and he's just he's just really messed up so, like some of the things that he does in the movies he, he, you know, I mean, it's it's easy for a villain to pick up a gun and shoot somebody, but even he, he breaks into a museum where there where the weapons are because of course it's it's a pacifist society, so there's no, it's hard to get come by guns. Wouldn't we all love that, especially in the states? Um, and he has to, in order to get a gun, he has to go into the um, into a museum, and he kind of eyes up this attendant, and he's like, "How much do you weigh?" And he just picks him up and throws him into the into the glass to, to break the glass to, to rob the guns you know and it's, it, it's all the little subtle things that he does to absolutely mess people up uh, which is which is really good and of course then he, he ties in his um, anytime he's uh, um, hurting people he's like you know Simon says die um, you know, you've got all these, so you've got these great back and forths and one liners between uh, between Sylvester Sloan and, and uh, Simon Phoenix and one of the other great ones is you know he's like you're going to regret this for the rest of your life both seconds of it. <laughs> the, the line, the, the, the part that stuck with me was the one that we always use. Any of, anyone who looked confused for a while was like, what seems to be your boggle? <laughs> <laughs> what seems to be your boggle? <laughs> <laughs> My boggle. <laughs> it's great. No, I, I have to say, look, it's a movie that I, I do think it, it's, for me anyway, yeah, look, I, ha- I have all the nostalgia around it. So, so that I, but I do think having watched it again recently, like, it does stand up. There's there's a lot of things that I think actually people will relate to more now, having seen uh, how technology has ha, has developed, and then also, mm-hmm. you know, living in COVID times, you know, not touching each other, the dangers of swapping bodily fluids, all this kind of stuff. It's um, it's actually quite interesting, and it does take a box. And I have to say, I'm I'm always, I'm always kind of trying to encourage um not to get, I, I'm not mad into gender politics or anything like that, but, but I'm always trying to encourage women to watch more of these kind of movies because there's just, 
they're just so good. Uh, they're just quality, full stop. And um, but, but for the Demolition Man, it's like it's not just a, a sly Wesley Snipes action movie. It's it it it, it is that, but it's, it is also great comedy, great characters, great script, a cute little romance thing, and even like Lenina Huxley, Sandra Bullock's character, she kicks a little bit of ass. She gets some. She I gets was gonna say she's not like the token love interest. She like she has her own little arc. Or so, like she's not the damsel in distress. She's not there. Like I don't like at no point is she there to be kidnapped for him to save at the end. Like she's holding her own the whole film, which. She, even now, I was going to say, even back then, the 90s, it was like, you're the girl that's either going to get killed or you have the sex scene or you're going to get kidnapped and that's your, you know, your story arc. Whereas she kind of has a, a start, middle and an end outside of, you know, the interacting with Stallone. Yeah, and I think that's what he was talking about when he was talking about, like, having a female character. Like, she wasn't just his love interest. She was hmm. her own character with her own arc and her, you know, and she she really kind of held holds her own in it despite the fact that, you know, she has this idealism of, of the violence and the nostalgia of the 90s and then there's the realism of, oh shit, this is actually a lot more intense than I thought it would be, but but she's still kind of, it's also quite progressive <laughs> in that sense for, for the 90s, for the early 90s. So um, yeah, it's, um, it's a great film. So I would highly recommend people check it out. It's fairly easy to, to see. Um, I mean, it's on, you can get it, you can watch it on YouTube. As I say, it's, it's been on channel. It's, it was definitely channel four that I saw it on. So if it's on channel four now, as in recently, it'll probably be on channel four again, as you say, yeah. my friends. Yeah, they get one film and then they play it to death. I remember it was E4 because it was that guy that does the voiceover thing was doing this like horrible ad for it. And it's like, no one's going to watch it off the back of this. And one last thing I'm going to say as well, it makes a wrap burger look like the most delicious thing you have ever eaten or ever will eat. Yeah, yeah, especially considering that it, it's a time where literally the only food, fast food restaurant is Taco Bell. Or in Europe, if you watch the movie in Europe, it's Pizza Hut, which really threw me off because I always watched it with Taco Bell. I've never seen it with the Pizza Hut. I know it says it on the uh, was it IMDb, it's like the trivia thing I was looking at. I've like, always ever seen it just with the Taco Bell thing. It really threw me off when I Taco saw it. Yeah, I couldn't understand it because when it was on E4, Channel 4, whichever one it was, um, they were saying Pizza Hut and all the Taco Bell, which was the original one, the Pizza Hut signs were up and they, they actually dubbed them saying Pizza Hut, even though their mouth was saying moving, saying Taco <laughs> Bell. I thought, that's so weird. Why did they do that? But it was because in Europe, people didn't know Taco Bell, but they knew Pizza Hut. It, yeah, in, in, a, in a world where there was only Taco Bell and these people in the sewers were starving, they're eating rat burgers and it does yeah it's, it's not, that's an interesting one actually I never, even thought, I never even thought of it I was like it does actually make and when he drinks slugs the beer and he eats the rat burger yeah. in this like really stuffy restaurant with like these little like almost like canapes and he says this great line is he's this tiny little dinner plate with these like morsels of food on it he's like hmm good thing I'm hungry <laughs> which, I, which I still say to this day when I have far too few, far too little food on my plate so yeah it's it certainly influenced me in in my uh, the way i quote and talk about things so it's well worth a watch so andy thanks a million for joining me again on the podcast and i hope we have encouraged people to check it out it's just it's so good it's just it's, it's worth a watch and it's worth a rewatch if you haven't seen it so, yeah, yeah absolutely just I, I was delighted to, it was one of those like you said I know it word for word but just to watch it again I was like I was 10 11 years old again watching it watching every throwing every punch and kick with it and quoting every line annoying the crap out of my girlfriend beside me just like well, you just let them say the lines themselves <laughs> love it thanks a million Andy why oh why 
Why, oh why, why haven't you seen this?